Across the UK, Overnights with Martin Kellner. There is a place I'd give the world to see Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico You got to be in so much to see in Mexico Yep uh, that's where we're going now to uh, Campeche in Mexico, and uh, we say a very warm welcome to uh, John Bonfilio. Uh, John, thanks uh, ever so much for joining us. Good evening, Wakefield. <laughs> Wakefield and the world. Wakefield and the world. Yes. Uh, let's start off in uh, Argentina, where um, a, a very Trumpian candidate, this is uh, Javier Millet, uh, has um, well, he, he's doing rather well. He's it's the primaries there, isn't it? They're running up towards the uh, presidential election, and he's the leading yep. figure at the moment, and uh, a wild and crazy guy. He is. He's taken a shock lead in the primaries. The, uh, the election is a couple of months away, of thirty percent was completely off the radar uh, up until this. But uh, uh, yeah, no, as you say, Trumpian, Bolsonaro-ish. Uh, he has relationships with uh, with all of them, and uh, he's suddenly come to the fore ahead of this whole sort of you know anti-politician board, with uh, fed up with everything mm. that politicians bring uh, to the party kind of uh, situation, which I guess is no surprise. We've spoken about on your show before, Martin. For example, Argentine uh, interest rates, which uh, currently are at 97%, and actually wow. when he won the primaries last Sunday, they went up to 118% interest rates, which, you know, you would take to be a bad sign of the economy. But if they're going up by 20% between 100% and 120%, you know, it doesn't really, um, perhaps it doesn't say much about where you are already. But I think that perhaps one of the most um, uh, interesting uh, uh, aspects of this figure, Javier Millet, is the fact that he has the best sideburns I have seen for quite a long time. And it, it made me think that I think at the end of the year, you know, uh, for the forthcoming first year of the Kelniverse Awards that we have coming up in December, that we should, that, you know, he is clearly a candidate and we should encourage listeners to, uh, you know, to submit other candidates for best sideburns of 2023, of course, by postcard uh, to the usual address and, you know, maybe even uh, give them a prize of a, an audiobook reading of Wrestling and Honey, which I think is, you know, something that anybody, by our esteemed Martin Cullen, which anybody would, would want. Look, Javier Millet's uh, public policies, you know, joking aside, are pretty remarkable. He is completely anti-public health. Uh, he is pro-liberalizing gun ownership, perhaps slightly more strangely. He is big into uh, tantric sex as a, uh, you know, as a thing that society should get involved mm. in. Even more surprisingly, he's very pro the liberalization of international organ trade. He has said, if women can control their bodies, why not everybody else? And he is also a believer that um, uh, Jews do secretly run the world. And apparently, you know, good at least a good third of Argentines uh, agree with him enough to, to vote for him at the, at the polling booth at the moment and maybe in a few weeks time. Yeah, I suppose the the tantric sex would take your mind off the high interest rates, 
Possibly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, possibly. He, he, he came to fame on, I mean, again, Trumpian, you know, on talk shows where he would, you know, he would come on and basically extol the virtues of not just tantric sex, but also threesomes as a basic, you know, underscore for what sex should be. And of course, achieved mass notoriety in Argentina and became, uh, you know, a persona, a public figure in this particular way. And now we're, you know, the, the kinds of things that in the past we would have thought, well, you know, that's the end of that. He's infamous and that finishes there. But now it seems as though everybody who has that kind of profile thinks, what's next? Presidency. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Makes um, Boris Johnson seem like a sort of backward boy scout, really. Um, yeah. But it's yes, it's part of the it's part of a sort of worldwide movement, isn't it? When you look at Orban in uh, Hungary and you know various other leaders uh, through the world, you know when people are sort of fed up with uh, with conventional politicians, they seem to move towards these uh, these Trumpian figures. Um, tell me a little bit about. Uh, I mean, this is an interesting one. This is uh, a mezcal masterclass. Uh, and mezcal is um, it, it, it's a, it's sort of like it, it's it's like tequila, is it? But it, it's yeah. sort of a, a hallucinogenic in some way. I mean, it's a, it's, it is a different kind of drink. This is where I find myself uh, tonight. Um, yeah, mezcal is an alcoholic uh, drink. It's from the agave cactus, which is also where tequila comes from. Um, it's cooked underground, like sort of an underground barbecue, and then it's distilled uh, from there. But the big difference, like uh, historically, mezcal would be uh, something that would be drunk only, like really, really cheap and only by drunks, while tequila was like, you know, the choice of drinks here in Mexico and internationally of Mexican drinks. But that's completely changed uh, uh, in the last maybe 15 years, whereby now mezcal is the choice of drink amongst uh you know, I guess you're sort of elite and you're, and you're, um, uh, you know, people who, uh, who really want to stand out from, from the crowd and tequila, uh, hipsters maybe, Martin, going back to that oh, word from the other week. Hipsters, yeah. Um, but this one's interesting because the, the reason why mezcal is particularly noteworthy is because tequila is, has always been an industrialized process. So you don't get 10 bottles of tequila. You get thousands and thousands of bottles of tequila made at a time by a particular distillery, but mezcal has always been based around small local communities. And this masterclass that I'm at tonight is actually from a community. The, the mezcal is called Sots, which Sots and Mixteco, which is a, a language, a community from the mountains of Oaxaca, uh, means bat. Uh, and the reason they call it that is because the bats are some of the most important pollinators of this particular plant. And it comes from this community called San Jose del Porvenir, which in and of itself is a great name because it means St. Joseph, San Jose, of the yet to come which is a, an amazing uh, name. And they are a completely isolated, completely sustainable community. They're four hours away from the next nearest human being. And when I say they're completely sustainable, they grow what they eat and they, they eat what they grow. It's in some ways, you could think that they're sort of trapped in the 19th century. They still operate a barter economy. And mezcal is a really big ancestral tradition with medicinal uses that the, this community still makes to the extent that the head mezcal maker, what they call the maestro mezcalero, in each community there's one guy who's in charge of this process and passes it, passes it down through generations. This guy in San Jose del Porvenir is currently 110 years old. Um, so this this chap, yeah, amazing, and he's still active. You know, this is this is uh, as we've often said with indigenous communities, 
the way that memory and knowledge is passed down is is generation to generation. You know, it's not written, it's not stored anywhere. So we're here tonight learning a little bit about the different about the plant, about the traditions, about the different mezcals, about farmed mezcal and wild mezcal. This community in particular have a lot of wild mezcal in the mountains around them. And it's a completely unique, you know, beautiful drink that is, I guess, in some ways being subverted these days because it is becoming, you know, cool and hip on the streets of Tulum and Cancun. But it definitely maintains its sort of its strong ancestral roots and traditions. Brilliant. Now, we've we've talked uh, about Ecuador a little bit recently, and I know uh, Moises Caicedo, who plays for uh, for Brighton, you know, very, uh, um, well, I think he's now gone to Chelsea, but very, uh, you know, prized player's been playing really well in the Premier League. I think he played for Quito uh, for a while in a smaller club in Ecuador. Um, but there's some wacky stuff coming out there. Um, tell me about this uh, dead man who's liable to uh, win the election in Ecuador. This is, yeah, this is amazing. This is, presidential elections are two days away in uh, in Ecuador. Uh, Ecuador, historically, you know, a really, really safe country in, in Latin America. But it's been overrun by cartels and, and gangs over the last few years because it's it's become a distribution point for, in particular, cocaine from Peru and from Colombia. So this this figure, Fernando Villavicencio, was assassinated. Uh, I mean, you know, there's no other word for it. Ten days ago after a, a round mm. in Quito. And there's been this whole backwards and forwards since then about who's going to. I mean, he's an anti-corruption candidate who linked organized crime to the existing uh, government. But this has been this back back and forth since then about who's going to replace him or not replace him to the extent that at the presidential debate last Sunday, there was an empty lectern where nobody was allowed to stand in his stead. And it's only 24 hours ago, so 72 hours from the election, that the Ecuadorian Electoral Committee actually approved of a replacement candidate. And of course, by this stage, all of the ballots have been printed and distributed. And Fernando Villavicencio, the assassinated candidate, is on all of them. And polls suggest, given everything that's taken place, that he has a healthy lead. And so he may not win outright on Sunday, but he's certainly going to go off into a race in the last two. And so the name you know, that's likely to come out the winner on Sunday at the Ecuadorian presidential election is that of the man who is no longer alive. Blimey. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And just finally, we're, we're all getting excited about the uh, Women's World Cup final uh, here in the uh, UK, England versus Spain on uh, Sunday morning. Um, and uh, Colombia uh, are out, but uh, they returned as heroes or heroines. Yeah, heroines. Yeah, if, it wouldn't have been any different if they'd won the thing. They've returned back, immediately been invited to the presidential palace where they've met President uh, Gustavo Pedro. They've been given national medals. Uh, and Gustavo uh, Pedro has committed to 8 billion Colombian pesos in terms of funding to the Women's Football League next year. It sounds huge, but actually when you convert it, because the Colombian peso <laughs> isn't worth that much, it's actually about 2 million bucks. So it's still, you know, yeah, something. But it, yeah, but it's been, it's actually been really joyous. You know, uh, how they've arrived back and just the country has completely embraced them. And one of the things that Pedro said actually, with him at the press conference was to say that he thinks that the Colombian women will win the World Cup before the men. So given everything that that team and some of its players has, has gone through and the fact that they are now household names and, you know, just uh, em, em, import, really important women sporting figures in Colombia is, uh, is a really great news story. 
Yeah, brilliant. Um, as always, John, thank you ever so much. Do appreciate it. And we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. No problem. Take care. There we go. John Bonfilio joining us from Campeche in Mexico.